this afternoon, playing one for the Australians today on the back of that ref's decision yesterday night. <laughs> Melbourne band Australian Crawl, Reckless, written, written by lead singer and guitarist James Rain, listens to Triple M, voted Reckless the 39th best song of all time in 2007. Australian Crawl's accessible sound bore a particular Melbourne resonance with its fresh and appealing combination of rye observation, bright guitar licks and vital energy. So Australian Crawl, Round the Pound, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that song, Zoe George, oh, bit, yeah. of a, bit of a classic, isn't it really? Again, growing up in an Australian household, uh, I yeah. was exposed, oh yeah, yeah, my mum has been in New Zealand 40 years and she still sounds like she belongs on the cast of <laughs> Kath and Kim. Yeah, it's Norse, it's unusual, I, I love my mum, yeah, it's Norse, it's unusual, yeah, it's Norse, it's Norse. Um, so, you know, Midnight Oil, um, what else, oh, the Bee Gees. Um, Hoodoo Gurus. Yeah, oh, hey. Uh, you know, there's lots of yeah, it's uh, lots of Aussie bands that yeah got exposed right. to growing so, up. Such great. Uh, so, so you're a part, you're part Australian. Yeah, sorry. not many yeah. people know that. Don't tell anyone. Mm, will no. You? Uh, no, no. Yes, yes, part Australian. So, Mum's from from Sydney. Um, we we support the Cronulla Sharks as is her home team. Um, and so a few years ago, I got to walk out uh, onto the turf into the Sydney cricket ground, and it was really special for me because my family have connection to that ground, and so it was it was. Really wonderful, and I try and I haven't been back to Sydney now a few years, but um, I know where all the good shoe shops are, so I can give you some tips. Played any gigs in Australia, Alan? Yeah, I did a Melbourne Comedy Festival. Good. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Loads of Irish people there, good and city. then loads of others. Yeah, yeah. great. It is uh, twenty. Sorry, forty thirty-seven. Four thirty-seven. The panel RNZ National. Now, the volcanic soils of Pukekohe are a national tonga when it comes to growing food. The area generates around three hundred and twenty-seven million dollars a year in produce, twenty-six percent of New Zealand's total veggie production. But it is under threat. Some growers have had to sell up due to the encroaching urban sprawl. And once that land is built on. You won't get it back. The government is expected to announce this weekend, Sunday I think, new standards to help safeguard some of the country's most productive land from urban sprawl. With us is Chris Darby, Chair of Auckland's Council's Planning Committee. He's been following this issue very closely. Written to the Minister, Chris Kiotta. Kia ora, Wallace. And this has been a long-running issue, hasn't it? Growers have long complained that they're being locked out of, what, the, by lifestylers? Is that it? Yeah, it's a combination of things. Um, these are really uh, productive soils. We call them the highly productive land of Auckland. It's elite in prime soils. So they they grow a lot and they grow up fast. And, um, you know, the, the growers in that area have uh, have felt, you know, urban expansion, urban sprawl come their way, lifestyle blocks. And, you know, it's been a combination of permissive legislation and a, a number of other things that just all add up and it makes it really put a lot of pressure on those areas and we're losing irreplaceable soils. Yeah, um, and farmers saying that they can't compete with developers. When developers put up those big butts, uh, that's them gone. Yeah, it is. And uh, you can't replace that soil. It's not like, you know, once the excavator, yeah. excavator goes through it, uh, it's gone forever. Um, so we're, we've been urging government uh, for some time now to do something about it and give some really clear direction uh, through what's called a national policy statement, um, which we'll hear more of um, come Sunday. Uh, and we'll go to the panellists uh, shortly, but are not elite soils recognised in within the RMA? Well, the RMA, the Resource Management Act, is a 
permissive piece of legislation, and it doesn't really afford the protections uh, that are necessary to these extremely valuable soils. So what we're looking for is for you know, that value of primary production land to be given adequate consideration under legislation. And government is considering a review of that. It's referred to as the resource management reforms. And we, what we want to do there is make sure that government is working in a direction where we, we don't continue to see this fragmentation of this really valuable land. and We, we don't see this uncoordinated expansion over, over this extremely uh, productive land. This is the food basket for yeah. not just Auckland, it's the nation. Oh, quarter quarter of the production. Alan McRoy, have you ever noticed, you know, going near the Bombay Hills there, Pukekoe, those beautiful, beautiful, extraordinarily ploughed, fertile soils? You've got your likes of your broccolis, your cabbage, your lettuce, cauliflower. I love all that. I love all that. But I'm driving the car, so I have to focus on the road, Wallace. But I'm aware that it's there, and it's amazing. and and, And it should stay there. If it keeps the price of tomatoes down. Yeah. Zoe? Oh, it just, these numbers just boggle my mind. 327 million a year, 26% of New Zealand's total vegetable production. That is, wow, that's incredible. And when we think about it, is, you know, it's particularly in, in COVID times where when COVID happened and we're trying to import stuff and how difficult that was, you know, um, Food security is incredibly important. Food and housing are very important. Both issues are incredibly important. But yeah, food is a basic human right. We need sustenance. So I'm, I don't know. I'm all down for this. I'm all down for protecting this really important tonga and resource. And that's a, an issue, isn't it, Chris? The, I mean, due to global issues, food security is increasingly becoming a topic. May have uh, been not ignored, but uh, sidelined in the last decade. But uh, that's that's something we need to focus on in the next five ten years. Oh, absolutely! In a climate change world, we need to, as much as possible, be secure with in our own country for for, for food. And we've also got climate uh, change affecting us in another way too. We've got inundation and sea level rise, which is threatening five percent of our highly productive land. So we've, you know, there's two very strong arguments for taking very clear action here. And I'm confident that the Minister for the Environment, David Parker, will um, present that action come the weekend. All right, talking about saving the food bowl of Aotearoa. So um, just finally, Chris, the devil is always in the detail with these things. What do you think the announcement uh, will outline? Well, what what I'm hoping um, is that we get some very clear direction, that we're not left in a position where we're grappling with um, developers who are using the Auckland Unitary Plan to, to push back on this. So we, we need that high-level direction uh, that gives greater recognition in the resource management reforms that are coming up um, that uh, I'll make sure that the, the protection of these finite soils that are going to feed future generations are there forever. Right, that's Chris Darby, the chair of Auckland's Council's Planning Committee, wrote to the minister um, saying, look, it's really important to uh, uh, protect these uh, volcanic soils of soils of Pukekohe, National Taonga, um, generating about $330 million a year in the produce that we all eat. Uh, Ranul says, Kia ora Wallace and crew, not only loss of land in Pukekohe, the same thing happened uh, to all the market gardens in the greater Mangare area in the 70s, 80s uh, and onwards. Before we get on to the next uh, topic, around the panel, do any of you grow your own food 
Or have you tried? No, I, I would do if I had the, the space. We're going to try and do it on the balcony, but yeah. we're in an apartment townhouse. But yeah, we would. Otherwise, absolutely. Yeah, I've got new potatoes ready to go in for, oh. for Christmas. Uh, but I must admit, I'm not very... I do have some herbs, and my mint has just got... I'm very good at growing mint. It just grows everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I have lots of flower gardens, um, so lots of bee-friendly... Uh, I've let my alpine forget-me-nots just go crazy. And, um, yeah, so I'm all well, about the bees. you're quite the gardener. Uh, um, I got into it during lockdown, and, and now my inside as well, my entire house is... I've got about 100 houseplants. It's just an, an, this massive indoor jungle and then I'm start slowly working on my outdoor area my tulips have just started to bloom they look beautiful good heavens um, are you one of these health plant people uh, yes I am uh, I like I'm totally addicted to house plants uh, my partner comes around he's like what are you doing I'm like oh, I'm just on trade me goes oh yeah what plant are you looking at I'm like, oh today it's a Hoya <laughs> uh, I, don't mind yes. I, can't I can't understand the appeal well, Jane moved in and she now the house is like a, a forest there's plants yeah. everywhere and I I don't, I'm not against it and candles and weird cushions that will never be used <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind the plants and I, I feel like yeah. it's good for you being it's, in the house. It's med- yeah. For me, it's a form of meditation. It's a form of self-care. I have to be mindful when I do it. Otherwise, if I overwater, then I kill it. If I underwater, I kill it. So, uh, but, house plants. Yeah, and, and what a nightmare. No, no. I mean, <laughs> you just check on, I check on them every day. It takes me 10 minutes. It's nothing. Yeah. And I give lots away as well. So I'm one of these people, if I'm coming to your house for something, then I'm going to bring you something. And it's normally a oh. pot plant. That's cool. No, 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 no that's no, that's cool. Uh, we might discuss that this week. Uh, House plant people. Uh, it's fifteen to five. The panel: Zoe George and Alan McRoy with me uh, this afternoon. Previously on the panel, we have discussed closed captions being popular amongst Gen Z. Uh, for example, well, not, I'm not Gen Z. I'm, I'm what am I? Generation X, Gen X. I love captions. I can't watch anything without captions these days, even your Coro Streets or your Grand Designs, got to have the captions on. But for many, it's not just a preference or a trend, it's a necessity. This week, 17-year-old Hope Cotton handed in a petition with more than 2,000 signatures to Green MP Chloe Swarbrick. The petition calls for a law change that would make it a requirement for broadcasters to provide quality captioning for the deaf and hard of hearing. And with us now is Hope Cotton. Kia ora, Hope. Nice to have you on the program. Kia ora. Thank you for having me here today. How much of a difference do captions make to your life? How essential, I guess, are they for you? Oh, they're absolutely essential. They're life-changing. I really can... I cannot follow at all without captioning. Um I often actually, if things aren't captioned at home, I'll sit and I'll read a book while the rest of the family watches TV. It's it's just impossible to understand without captioning, really. And I think you were saying, Hope, that it was especially, the the, the issue became especially um, heightened in lockdown where teachers were doing online learning, but they weren't making a lot of stuff accessible to people like yourself, Hope. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so that was really difficult. There were things like we'd have to do a film study and we'd have to like write about the dialogue or the music. And I was like, I can tell you all about the colours, but if it's not captioned, I can't tell you anything about that. <laughs> um, and there was a documentary I had to watch for my history class on the Vietnam War. And they had captions, but they were auto-generated. And those usually have an accuracy about 50%, so every second word is wrong. Oh, oh. It, was, it was like talking about unicorns and rainbows instead of Ho Chi Minh. And I... 
didn't do very well there. <laughs> oh, no. I, I will, we'll come to our panel soon, Hope, but he, he, here's the deal, and this is extraordinary, uh, and I didn't know this. So uh, the US do captioning. It's, re- it's regulated. Australia do it. We don't. Yeah, and that's how you know it's bad if Australia's better than us, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the well. Let's go to um, Alan on this. Yeah, no, I, I I wasn't aware of that. I I thought it was always an option uh, of captioning. So I and I I you know especially during lockdown when you ran out of stuff to watch, you ended up watching the foreign movies and you and you'd read the captions and stuff. So yeah, I think everyone should have the right to know what's happening on uh, Married at First Sight Australia. <laughs> I hope stay there. Let's bring Zoe in. Oh, Hope, you are an absolute inspiration to me. <laughs> 17 years old, not even old enough to vote yet, <laughs> and yet you are leaving your mark on the world. I think it's incredible. I cannot wait to see what else you achieve uh, as you continue on with your life. What you are asking for is incredibly important. Information should be readily accessible to all people, particularly in this day and age. Um, and so I wish you all the best. You've got my vote. Oh, thank you. Some some also are saying, you know, there are, there is a captioning in some of those pretty important times. Um, uh, for example, people talking about what about um, the one pm COVID stand-ups, mm. but that's not. Um, there, there was even issues with that, wasn't there? Hope. Um, it's not always that accurate. There are yeah. things like ear masks instead of wear masks, and it's quite hard to follow along. And also, they'll cut off into the next story once since. Jacinda, stop talking, but the captions haven't necessarily caught up with us. You missed, like, the last two sentences. There's a lot of playing catch-up, and the captions aren't always very accurate. So yeah. it's quite frustrating. Uh, look, I really hope this gets through. Uh, if, 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 if the US do it, Australia do it, you know, there is a sense of, uh, um, you know, if we want to be inclusive, you know, why, why, why shouldn't uh, we be doing it here in Aotearoa? Can I just ask you about this um, this trend, though, to actually have captioning. I mean, what do you make of that? Because there is this um, sense amongst particularly younger people, millennials, that it's actually now preferred to have captions. I think there's a lot of reasons why it's preferred. Firstly, it's a lot more convenient if you're in a noisy environment like public transport and you don't have headphones on you, you can still watch something. Ah. I think then also um, a lot of people have some form of hearing difficulties. A lot of us decided to use a lot more um, headphones and loud music, and that can actually have quite a negative effect on your hearing without realising it. And then there's also neurodivergent people who find it easier for auditory processing if they have captions. So I think it's the thing of preference. Okay. Look, finally, uh, and I do have to ask you, with this with the new, um, the new merger, TVNZ and RNZ coming up, mm-hmm. have you broached this subject with Broadcasting Minister Willie Jackson? Um, I have broached the subject with him. Um, he kind of said that um, they would try and address it during the merger, but they weren't looking at legislative change, which, to be frank, isn't really good enough. Without laws to protect these rights, who's to say that they're going to stay in and who's going to stay that Labour, the Labour government and Willie Jackson is going to be in next mm-hmm. term and that those laws and those rights will still be in place without laws to uphold them. And we really need law change. We should have had law change a long time ago. All right, so you'll be wanting to push the minister on that? Yes, definitely. Keep fighting the good fight, Hope. I reckon you can do it. And this is just, it's incredibly important, Mahi, that you're doing.
Thank you so much. That is a 17-year-old Hope Cotton handing in a petition with several thousand signatures asking for closed captions. Uh, the petition will call for a law change to make it a requirement for broadcasters to provide quality captioning for the deaf and hard of hearing. We'll follow that up and uh, see where that sits uh, with the merger of TVNZ and RNZ uh, as well. It's Te Wiki Aotearoa Māori, Māori Language Week, which gives us uh, all the more reason to celebrate Te Rau as the national taonga uh, that it is. And this article in Newsroom caught our eye here, research showing that people who are bilingual may be more resilient to mate uh, wariwere, or dementia than those who only speak one ang- language. It was a very interesting uh, article, so we thought we'd um, get the senior lecturer at the University of Auckland School of Psychology, Dr Makarena Dudley, uh, on. Uh, Dr Dudley, kia ora. Kia ora. Ngā mihi te wiki o te Māori. Oh, lovely to have you on the programme. What difference does the use of te Māori make to uh, people with dementia? What, what have we found here? Well, so we asked um, oh, uh, uh, over 300 people what, what uh, their experience of this uh, of, of mate wari wari of dementia was, and we got many many stories. It was um, it was quite amazing the number of stories that we got, where they were telling us that the person with um, mate wari wari with dementia, when they came onto the marae and they started hearing and even speaking the real, which they hadn't done for maybe sometimes their whole, most of their lives, yeah. then that like that cloud that would like dissipate the symptoms that they had been uh, displaying uh, of mate wari of dementia seemed to lift that period of time. And we just, as I said, there were many stories that came through um, to that effect and we, we found this really fascinating and so we we feel we thought that um, probably two reasons for this, right? And there is some evidence, yes, that you know bilingual people um, have more activity, neuronal activity going on in the brain. So there's that reason. And um, but probably what we thought was um, these people who are start are hearing the tereo or speaking the tereo. What they're, what they're doing is they're going into a comfort zone. They're going into a zone where they are feeling safe and particularly they're going into a place where what they're hearing is familiar to them. Yeah. And, um, and, and we think that is the reason why that for that period of time, um, you know, they, they, they're not so confused. Um, and because we know that people with dementia, um, Often, uh, if they're in a familiar environment or, uh, you know, they hear uh, that they're meeting new people, they can become very confused and very frightened. So we think that's the other side of it. It's just, it's a, it's a, a social, a social gathering, which, which probably um, uh, draws on long-term memories. Um, where they do feel comfortable yeah. and, and safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kia ora, Dr Dudley. We have a panel with us as well, so they'll have some uh, questions of views. Uh, Zoe. Kia ora. This is incredible. It's amazing. As part of your research as well, did you look at how often um, te reo is being used on a daily basis and, and whether there's any correlation for being able to you know, keep dementia at slight bay by, by talking and engaging with different languages every day? 
No, we didn't do that. That was something that that's something that I'd like to follow up. So these were just like ad hoc stories um, from various Spano, various Komatua, you know, uh, from their experiences. But I mean, I would like to sort of like measure it to some degree. Yeah. Um, you know how much the speaking of the law um, actually uh, correlates with you know well-being and 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 cognitive functioning, if you like. But um, it, it wouldn't surprise me because in in this sense, the the brain is like a muscle. The more you use it, um, you use it or you lose it. So when they're speaking the law. Um, then they are using neuronal pathways, if you like, that um, you know that are making keeping the brain active. Let's bring in Ellen. Yeah, I've, I've I've actually seen this with my uh, my ex's family. They're all Dutch, and when our granny uh, was suffering from dementia, uh, when she was around other old Dutch people that were also suffering, she just became alive again. So Good she boy. always spoke English when I knew her, and then when she was in the home, then she just went back to where she really? was and was cheerful and jovial. Uh, so I've seen it. I've seen it Macarena? actually happen. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I can, you know, I sort of can tell you the story about this woman whose father had dementia, Matiwariwari, and her husband would go and speak to him, and she'd say, you'd think that my father had nothing wrong with him. He remembered everything. But the minute you spoke English, that was it. He just didn't want to know. Yeah. So I, wow. I, I think there's a lot of things going on there. Um, mm. Perhaps perhaps he had been punished you know, as a five-year-old, as a child, for speaking the real. So maybe it's evoking um, some kind of negative, you know, emotions in him, whatever. Um, that kind of, you know, that kind of story was really common. Really interesting research, Dr. Dudley. Kia uh, paetera. Thank you very much for being uh, with us this afternoon. Oh, kia ora, my honour. Thank you. I'm the yeah, I'm here. That's uh, Dr. Makarena Dudley, uh, Senior Lecturer at uh, the University of Auckland School of Psychology. And uh, that is us for, um, for Friday afternoon. You have both been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. You've Thanks. Been, 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 so have been you. a joy, a joy. <laughs> Um, the, the world's highest mountain, confused about that. I don't know what it is now. Uh, now that <laughs> don't, be confused. That. don't be it's confused. It's still Mount Everest. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's still what you know at the start of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good still Mount then. Everest. Very, very good. All right. Kua mutu te hōtaka mō tēnā kia pai tō koutou pō. That's the show. Have a great night. Cheers, Ellen. Cheers, Zoe. Thank you. Lisa, I will check by next. And a big thank you to my wonderful producer, Charlie Drever, who's on a well-deserved break next week. I'll see you next week 3.45 Monday. Till then.